0: Rain drizzles from the sky, pattering into the stained-glass window. Mourners gather in the hallway of crypts at the Cathedral Mausoleum of Hollywood Forever Cemetery. It's the anniversary of actor Rudolph Valentino's sudden and untimely death. And as a lover of silent film and a newcomer to the City of Angels, you excitedly attend the yearly ceremony honoring this 1920s heartthrob. You step on your tiptoes, craning your neck, trying to catch a closer look at the crypt. It is stifling in the small space. Damp bodies cloaked in black squeeze up against you. Your breath quickens, trying to compensate for the lack of fresh air. But as people pay their respects, they depart, and your excitement heightens as you move closer and closer to Valentino's resting place. You stand directly in front of his nameplate. You could touch it if you liked, but something holds you back. Only one woman stands beside you. She holds delicate, pale flowers in her trembling hands, and a veil covers her face. Bowing your head in respect to Valentino, you feel a rush of relief as the tension between you and the woman dissipates. She lowers her bouquet to the floor and starts to leave. When you look down, your heart ceases. Right before your eyes, the woman's flowers decompose, shriveling into crackly stems, color fading to ash. You turn and see her, watching you. Electricity races through your nerves and your heart pounds, faster and faster, as she lifts her veil. Illuminated by a flash of lightning, you see her true face. The chalky white of bone piercing through rotting patches of sinewy flesh and deep, sunken eyes. Welcome to Haunted Places on the Parcast Network. I'm Greg Polson. Every Thursday, I take you to the scariest eeriest, most haunted, real places on earth. This week, join me on a supernatural journey to the star-studded memorial site, Hollywood Forever Cemetery, and discover why, to this day, it's haunted. At Parcast, we're grateful for you, our listeners. You allow us to do what we love. Let us know how we're doing. Reach out on Facebook and Instagram, at Parcast, and Twitter, at Parcast Network. And if you enjoy today's episode, the best way to help us is to leave a five-star review wherever you're listening. It really does help. We also now have merchandise. Head to parcast.com slash merch for more information. Listen to more episodes of Haunted Places, as well as other Parcast shows, on your favorite podcast directory. Once called Hollywood Memorial Park, the cemetery located in Hollywood, California, was founded in 1899. The cemetery is home to lush greenery, palm trees, and a pristine lake embellished with water features, a picture of beauty and serenity. With 62 acres of land, exploring the massive mausoleums and thousands of graves is a daunting task but don't worry the cemetery staff is more than happy to provide you with a tour or a map when it was originally built the cemetery was a cultural icon a place of glamour and significance a place where the hollywood famed vied to spend their life after death today hollywood forever cemetery is much the same except it also appeals to the living hosting many concerts movie screenings and the biggest Dia de los Muertos celebration in the United States. Besides the great weekly events, the cemetery is also a popular attraction due to the many famous dead resting within. To name a few, director of The Wizard of Oz and Gone with the Wind, Victor Fleming, guitarist, Johnny Ramone, actress, Marion Davies, voice actor, Mel Blanc, and Judy Garland, who was recently reburied here in 2017 there are also memorial statues to those who have passed, including Anton Yelchin, known for his role in the Star Trek reboots, and a memorial monument for the dog that played Toto in The Wizard of Oz. For all its wonderful qualities today, Hollywood Forever Cemetery was not always a well-maintained popular attraction. The cemetery lost nearly all of its glamour when Jules Roth held majority ownership from 1939 to 1998. Vandalism and neglect ran amok, which was only exacerbated by the Northridge earthquake in 1994. Roofs were collapsing, the buildings on lake were flooding, and tombstones had cracked or fallen over. Trash was strewn across the grounds, and it became a popular place for deviant behavior and nighttime loitering. The dead did not appreciate this disrespect. Vern groaned as he sat up in bed, slamming his fist against the clock, silencing it. Learily, he checked the time. 2.30 a.m., time to get to work. Roger and Eric waited for him outside the cemetery, the leafy branches of an overgrown tree masking their presence. Vern noticed the glistening sweat off their foreheads, how their hands fidgeted in their pockets. They were green for sure, but they could get the job done. Gripping the metal bars, Vern hoisted himself over the fence and dropped to the other side with ease. Roger and Eric soon followed, and the three trudged through the unruly grass, stumbling over an infestation of knobby weeds. Mm. Eric tripped and landed on his face with a grunt. Roger helped him back on his feet. Brent thought about shushing them, but he knew he needn't bother. Security was supremely lacking. Unwelcome visitors could come as they please, wreaking mayhem on the decrepit and vulnerable place. Verne was a frequent guest among the ranks, as he made quite a profit from people's dark desires. He ran a disturbing business, looting graves for anything his customers could ever want. They reached the closest mausoleum without trouble, its concrete structure seemingly crumbling before their very eyes. Vern approached the cracked stained glass window. It was a pretty portrait of some saint. He kicked it in with his boot. He glanced back at Eric and Roger, who stared at him, bewildered. Vern shrugged in response. Would anyone really notice the difference? He stepped through the shattered window and entered the mausoleum. It was hard to breathe in the musky, thick air. Fissures ran up and down through the surrounding crypts, and puddles from the recent rainfall collected in the cracks of the floor. Vern continued on when he heard Roger and Eric follow after him. Vern's eyes lit up when he spotted a strikingly damaged crypt. He almost felt undeserving. This was so easy. Beckoning over Roger and Eric, his hand dove into the exposed tomb. Fingertips searching. There. His hand wrapped around the shriveled neck of a corpse. He pulled a small blade out of his pocket and reached back into the tomb. A moment later, and Vern pulled out a severed head, holding it by the matted strands of its hair. He took a moment to marvel at his prize. The woman's face, unaware of what just became of her, was peaceful. Her eyes were closed, but her flesh was peeling off in craggy flakes, exposing decaying muscle, and her sliced spinal cord, glowing white in the dark, dangled from her neck. Vern admired its form, thinking about how much this would be worth to the right customer with the right fetish. Eric looked away as Roger gagged. The sight was almost too disgusting to handle, and the smell was atrocious. But dawn was creeping upon them, and they needed to leave. Vern asked Roger for a paper sack to hide the head, and the three of them ditched the mausoleum and returned the way they came. They were nearing the visitors' parking lot when the bag began to shift in Vern's hands. He stopped walking, his momentum nearly unbalancing him. Eric and Roger stopped too, staring at Vern with questioning eyes. Vern opened the bag. He couldn't see anything but the human head. Frowning, his fingers once again curled around its hair and lifted it out. It was staring at him with glossy, opaque eyes. As if on cue, a lanky centipede crawled out from under one of its eyelids and slithered across her cheek. Vern jolted and nearly dropped the head out of shock. He sucked in a breath, trying to compose himself. His cheeks turned red in shame. He was embarrassing himself in front of Eric and Roger, who were inexperienced and cowardly. Nowhere near his, the head screamed at him shrill and piercing. Its nearly toothless mouth agape, and its frosty eyes wide in anger. Burns screamed back at the face and kicked it away, terrified. The head rolled under a car, out of sight. But yet, he could still hear its agonizing shrieks. He clutched at his ears, trying to block out the noise. Eric and Roger approached him. Eric grabbed one of Vern's arms and angrily demanded an explanation. Horrible realization crept over him as they glared. Did they not hear the screams? Could they not? Roger shoved him and Vern easily hit the ground, paralyzed in disbelief. As the flashlight beams of a security guard approached from the distance, he knew the mission had ended a failure. Eric and Roger ran off before they were noticed, and Vern, clawing at his ears, never saw them again. In one true and extreme case, there were reports of a woman's decapitated head being stolen from a crypt. The head was later found under a car in the cemetery's parking lot. Why it was taken and why it was abandoned are answers only known to the thieves and the dead. Due to the frequency of crimes and abuse, it was clear to all that Jules Roth did not care about Hollywood Forever Cemetery. Jules was an ex-con who had been released from San Quentin State Prison shortly before he took control of the cemetery. Both of his parents had been laid to rest at Hollywood Forever but his sentimentality only extended to their graves as he quickly brought the rest of the cemetery to ruin. He channeled its funds into his own pocket, buying himself a yacht and placing a wet bar in his office. He sold off part of its land and allowed the buildings to fall into steep disrepair. As a segregationist, he even refused to bury Gone with the Wind's Oscar-winning African-American actress Patty McDaniel. The families of the dead were appalled by the poor treatment of their loved ones, and many did all they could to rescue the deceased from these poor conditions. At one point in time, the cemetery made more money from corpse relocation fees than actually burying the dead. As you can imagine, the permanent residents of Hollywood Forever Cemetery didn't take these disservices too kindly. They demonstrate their displeasure after this. And now, back to the story. Jules Roth, corrupt owner of the cemetery, muttered under his breath and stalked across the grounds. Unruly grass twisted above his ankles, and uneven ground made walking difficult. He was getting too old for this, and his back was killing him. The constant complaints of visitors were grating on his last nerve. It's not like the dead cared about the place, so why should they? But still, they whined. One person had even threatened to call the health department over the foul smell from the Abbey of the Psalms mausoleum. Jules already had enough government suits sniffing into his business, so he reluctantly agreed to deal with the stench. The Abbey of the Psalms mausoleum loomed ahead of him, untended palm husks littering the sidewalk. The building's tall white walls and Roman facade above the entryway were infested with uncontrolled moss as cracks rippled throughout. Roth opened the rusted gate and its weight slammed it shut behind him. He nearly retched at the stench that filled the enclosed space, definitely rotting flesh his eyes watered but he straightened his back and inhaled he only needed to find the source the mausoleum was more of a disaster than he had imagined Crypts of the dead lined his path above and below him some of its marble cracked other surfaces were shoddily hammered over with slats of wood dirt cigarettes and other unmentionable litter was strewn across the floor, along with shattered glass from the broken skylights. He peered up. The sun was fading, painting the sky hues of dark purple and blood red. The foul odor was making him dizzy. He pulled his shirt collar over his nose and mouth. He kicked a chunk of marble out of the way as he stumbled forward, staring at the crypts riddled in spray paint. This would cost thousands to repair. Well, when he retired in a few years, someone else could pay from their own damn pocket. Roth startled as the light bulbs in the corridor suddenly burst, glass spraying him from above. Grumbling, he fumbled for his flashlight, latched to his belt. He flicked it on and let out a shuddered breath of unease. The sounds of scratching led Roth to a severely damaged crypt. The exposed tomb inside held the bodily remains of a withered corpse. With his flashlight, he peered over the edge to investigate. Could this be where a decomposing hand shot out of the crypt and clutched around Roth's throat? Bulbous maggots scuttled off the flaky molding flesh and onto Roth's trembling face. Icy chills sliced into his skin under the skeleton's fingers. He howled, ripping the corpse's arm away. He ran for the exit, terrified, but tripped and stumbled on the trash and chunks of concrete scattered across the floor. The crypts along either side of him trembled against an unknown force. Roth's heart hammered in his chest, and he couldn't help but wail out in terror as he scampered through the corridors of the mausoleum, accompanied only by the narrow beam of light from his flashlight. Fragile crypts began to split open, their surfaces cracking and pushing outward, threatening to unleash the malevolent force that lurked inside. Roth tripped over the steps, but managed to reach the gate. Tears of relief glistened in his eyes. But the gate wouldn't open. He shook it hard, trying to break free. For whatever reason, it was stuck. He was sealed in. Roth glanced back, panic seizing his chest. He shrieked. With a quick and powerful tug, the gate swung open. And Roth fell forward, scraping his knees against the concrete. He picked himself up, ran and never look back. Jules Roth passed away in 1998, at nearly a hundred years old. He too was interred in Hollywood Forever Cemetery, next to his parents, and the rest of the dead he so terribly wronged. His death certificate states he died from hypothermia due to a month-long struggle with pneumonia but perhaps his chills were vengeance from the dead he had taken advantage of for so long. After Jules Roth died, a man named Tyler Cassidy bought Hollywood Forever Cemetery for a fee of $375,000. He restored the cemetery to its former glory and renamed it Hollywood Forever. Despite all the wrongs made under the previous owner, Cassidy was able to correct the mistakes of owner's past and built a memorial for Hattie McDaniel. The dead could now rest easy, although there will always be some who will never rest at all. One of these very people was Benjamin Bugsy Siegel, whose body rests in the Bethel Law Mausoleum within Hollywood Forever. He was born in Brooklyn, New York in 1906 and soon formed connections with the mafia. He led a life of exuberance, befriending Hollywood elites and dating actress and fellow mobster, Virginia Hill. He even oversaw construction of the renowned Flamingo Hotel on the Las Vegas trip, which he named after his girlfriend. However, his life ended in a whirlwind of horror and pain. Carl paced at the back of the crowd. Throngs of people filled up a large grassy field as they sat staring at the massive movie screen. They were all between him and his picnic blanket, watching the movie he was now missing, Bugsy, a 1991 film about the life and love of infamous mobster Bugsy Siegel. It wasn't Carl's favorite mobster movie as it had a little too much romance for his taste. But still, to watch a film about a dead guy, only a short walk away from that dead guy's grave, it was a rare opportunity. An opportunity he was now missing, just because he had to go to the bathroom. Carl knew he shouldn't have gotten up. His crippling social anxiety made it difficult for him to go to the movies at all, let alone ask a crowd of people to move just so he could get back to his seat. His bladder had forced him to ask his way out. But now, his mind was keeping him from asking his way back in. He paced around, looking at the ground. He was missing the movie. He had to sit down. He approached the people at the edge, insistent on walking right past them. But as he got close, they looked right at him. He turned around. He couldn't do this. And now he was missing the gunfight, his favorite part of the movie. He sat down and sulked, upset with himself and his own inadequacies. He couldn't watch the movie, not from this far away. He thought about leaving, but he didn't want to leave his picnic blanket behind. He'd have to wait around doing nothing until the movie was over, unless he could go see Bugsy's grave. He planned on seeing the grave when he came, but he had gotten his seat early and didn't have a chance. Nobody would be at the grave while the movie was playing. Hmm. This was his perfect opportunity. Carl walked away from the crowd, towards where Bugsy was buried. The night was quiet and the path was well lit, rather peaceful. The simple gray gravestones that lined the walkways soon gave way to 10-foot-tall marble walls, plaques with names embossed on the side, indicating each individual grave within the Beth Alam exterior mausoleum. Karl liked the thought of a mausoleum without a roof, allowing the dead to look up at the stars. However, as he glanced towards the sky, he noticed two men standing at the far corner of the mausoleum. Karl froze. Even here, he could not seem to get away from people. He looked closer at the men and noticed something odd. They wore fedoras and trench coats, and they appeared to be bickering with each other, pointing into the mausoleum. Carl thought these men would best be avoided. He took a sharp right turn and wandered into the mausoleum from the other direction. He could only hope they weren't there to see the same grave he was. Carl turned one corner and then another, slowly closing in on the mobster's grave. As he walked, he started to hear a peculiar noise. The music was soft, but as he approached Bugsy's grave, it got louder and louder. It seemed to play through the air with no real source, disembodied and enchanting. As he was about to turn the last corner, he heard a snap. He stopped in his tracks and peeked around the wall. In the aisle before him danced a suave man in a trim suit, Bugsy Siegel himself. Carl's eyes went wide as he stared. His legs began to quiver, unable to comprehend what he was seeing. He felt a tap on his shoulder and heard a soft shushing. The fedora-wearing, trench-coated men stood pressed against the wall beside him. Thompson machine guns glistening in the soft light of the night. Carl screamed and ran, straight towards Bugsy, away from the men with guns. As he sprinted down the hallway, Bugsy stopped still, looking at him in abject horror. Carl felt his back explode with pain as bullets flew through the hall, piercing him. Blood flew from his chest as chunks of lead blasted out of him. He watched as two bullets flew into Bugsy's head, skull fragments and brain matter spattering against the smooth marble and intricate bronze plaque of Bugsy Siegel's grave. Carl collapsed to the floor, gasping for air, racked with pain. His eyes dimmed as he watched his own blood mix with Bugsy's on the ground. And then the pain stopped. Carl blinked. He took in a deep breath and let it out. He felt the floor's tiles smooth and dry. He looked at his chest and clothes, perfectly fine and perfectly whole. He climbed to his feet, still shaking from the experience. He decided to return to his blanket in front of the crowd. He thought he'd be better off around people, after all. Bugsy Siegel was murdered in his girlfriend's home on June 20th, 1947. To this day, his death goes unsolved, but many suspect the mob had a part to play, as minutes after his death, grunts working for fellow mobster Meyer Lansky declared Lansky's takeover at the Flamingo. Other suspects included his girlfriend's brother, due to rumored abuse between Bugsy and his sister. Given the circumstances of his death, it is no surprise that his spirit still roams the earth. He wanders the cemetery at night, staring mournfully at his grave. And although his body rests at Hollywood forever, he is also said to haunt the house in which he was murdered, as well as... Flamingo Hotel. Witnesses have seen his ghost attempt to take cover from the raining bullets, eternally reliving his last moments. We'll meet other famous residents of Hollywood Forever after this. Now, back to the story. As it was the pinnacle cemetery during the 1920s, Hollywood Forever is also home to many silent film stars. And although long past, one of these deceased is still trying to have her voice be heard. Between palm trees aglow with iridescent lights, a Ramones cover band played on a massive stage. Surrounding them were hundreds of fans dancing and screaming the lyrics to Blitzkrieg Bump. And as these people have the time of their lives, The dead laid mere feet away. The concert ended with a dramatic guitar riff and the stage lights going dark. The concert goers mingled a while, still high off good music and adrenaline. But soon the crowd dissipated, energy lulling, and everyone went back to their cars, ready for bed. Lisa was feeling her excitement fade as well. But her friend Claire had other plans. Ever mischievous and perhaps a bit tipsy, she was eager to have the historic cemetery halt to themselves. Lisa had reluctantly agreed, but that was nearly an hour ago, and her irritation was escalating, her feet ached, and her stiletto heels punctured the ground from time to time, forcing her to yank herself up. It was also dark increasingly difficult to see. Their only source of light was the sparkle of the moon and the occasional lamppost. Claire was now just a silhouette, as she stumbled over herself to check the different tombstones, glancing at the names in hopes of finding a favorite celebrity. Luckily, Claire's drunken laughter guided Lisa's path. Lisa could hear Claire start to run, still giggling, She tried to shout after Claire, but her voice was hoarse and raw from singing all night. The sound of laughter started to fade with distance, and Lisa groaned, kicking off her heels to chase after her friend. As she ran, ears straining, Lisa finally became aware of how quiet the cemetery was, a jarring void of sound that made her uneasy. Lisa stopped in her tracks, dread twisting at her stomach. That scream belonged to Claire. Heart thrumming at her chest, Lisa peered deeper into the expanse of the cemetery, looking for her friend. As she crested a hill, she noticed the lake, glistening against the starlight in the sky. But as for Claire, she saw nothing. Blood drained from her face as she quickened her pace and cried out Claire's name. She approached the shore of the lake, noticing a statue shaped like a man holding a guitar. In the dark of the night, the statue was ominous. Although she knew this was the grave of Johnny Ramone, Claire and Lisa had stopped by before the concert to pay their respects. Perhaps Claire had returned to see her celebrity crush one more time. Across the water loomed a mausoleum, foreboding and impenetrable. Lisa approached Johnny's grave, face flushed with adrenaline and growing panic. She spotted a pale form lying behind Johnny, glowing in the moonlight. She rushed forward. It was Claire. Lisa whimpered in anguish and collapsed by Claire's side. Claire was lying on her back, tears streaming from her eyes as she stared up at the hazy sky. Claire's mouth gaped like a fish out of water, but no sound left it, only a hollow gasping. Lisa shook Claire, shrieking at her in hopes to wake her from this terrifying trance. In her peripheral, she saw a flicker across the water and whipped her head around. A woman stood in front of the mausoleum in lavish wear, with silky dark hair and porcelain skin. Blood trickled down her dress, an odd yellowish tinge to the fabric. Her eyes wide and cheeks sunken. She stared at Lisa with a feverish intensity. Lisa screamed, but an invisible force coiled around her neck and tightened. She felt her bladder burn like fire, and she tugged at her clothes in a desperate ploy to alleviate the excruciating pain but it didn't stop. Hear me, the woman wailed as Lisa attempted to scream, speak anything. Hear me, the woman repeated, tears trickling down her face. Lisa's fingers grasped around her paralyzed throat and she cowered against her friend's motionless body. The woman approached, towered over her, forced her into silence so that this troubled spirit might speak. The sound echoed across the lake, and the woman jumped, startled. She shimmered in the night, then faded and disappeared. Claire and Lisa, feeling the air rush into their lungs once more. As they got to their feet, they looked up at Johnny's face. His normally serious lips turned upwards in a slight smile. Virginia Rappé was a rising starlet in the bustling biz of Hollywood. Though she died tragically young, the circumstances of her death made her famous forever. In the fall of 1921, she died of a ruptured bladder. Yet according to a friend of Virginia's, she was raped by Roscoe Fatty Arbuckle, a very successful comedian a few nights before her death. And that was when her health declined rapidly. Though Fatty claimed his innocence, he was sent to trial three times regarding the rape and death of Virginia Rappe. Eventually he was acquitted, but the trial of public opinion destroyed his reputation. To this day, many questions about Virginia's untimely death go unanswered. And to this day, Virginia Rappe's ghost haunts Hollywood Forever Cemetery. Near her grave, guests have heard disembodied sobbing, a cry for help for anyone who'd listen. And across the lake from Virginia's grave stands Johnny Ramone's grave, as Johnny eternally plays his guitar. In the years since its founding, Hollywood Forever Cemetery has gone through many changes. During the 1920s, 40 acres of its land was sold to film production companies, including Paramount Studios. Though no longer a part of the cemetery, it's no wonder that the restless spirits of actors and actresses gravitate towards the studios. In fact, there have been many sightings of ghosts traveling across the border of the cemetery and into the adjoining lot, insistent on recapturing the limelight they so craved in life. The grounds of Paramount were quiet, as they should have been at three in the morning. Tom stifled a yawn and glanced at his partner, Brett, who was sulkily sipping at a styrofoam cup of coffee. The two security guards had been on duty for nearly six hours, and they made their hourly rounds once again. They meandered down the roads streetlights casting long shadows against movie posters on the walls of the many sound stages. The stark lack of motion was always odd compared to the bustle of the day. Trucks moving equipment, assistants running food, actors moving in and out of trailers. The emptiness of the massive lot made it feel cold and overwhelming. Even after months of working the night shift, Tom pulled open the door to a soundstage, allowing Brett through first, who flicked on the lights with a crackly hum. This stage in particular hadn't been used in a while. Tom and Brett nodded at each other before splitting up to cover more ground. Tom heard footsteps echoing from above. He sighed, knowing he might actually have to kick somebody off the lot. It always took so much more effort to run off a vandal than to simply walk his rounds. He radioed to Brett, letting him know that they might have someone in the stage with them. Tom climbed up the stairs of the catwalk and glanced around. The narrow meadow walkway was bare. He frowned, knowing he hadn't heard anybody climb down. He took a deep breath in and a deep breath out. Perhaps he was more tired than he had thought. One more hour he could do it. Tom glanced up, just in time to avoid a sandbag pounding into the catwalk, causing the platform to swing precariously. He reached for the rail to steady himself, but pulled back in shock. The metal was freezing to the touch. Eager to leave the delicately balanced scaffolding, he gave one fleeting glance across the rest of the catwalk and headed back for the stairs. The lights hanging beside him turned on, nearly blinding him in the process. Squinting his eyes, he hurried down the steps and back onto sturdy ground. What in the world was going on? He smiled in relief when he saw Brett standing under the spotlights. They both must have finished their patrol of the stage. They could finally go home. Tom called out to Brett, but received no answer. Concerned, Tom rushed over to him and immediately realized something was wrong. Brett's shoulders were hunched and his eyes dark. Casting a murky shadow over the rest of his face, he drew his baton and bowed. Tom frowned in confusion and reached for his friend and colleague. Tom yelped in pain as the baton swatted away his hand He stepped back in alarm, cradling his injured hand to his chest. It throbbed painfully, flushing red. In front of him, Brett spun the baton in his hand and jabbed the baton like a sword. Then he lunged. Tom ducked as the baton swung for his head. He retreated backwards, raising his hands defensively, begging Brett to stop. All the while, his former friend continued to strike at him. Brett twisted and swung low. Tom collapsed when the baton impacted with the side of his knee. His head hit the concrete floor, and for a moment, his vision turned blazing white. He groaned, shifting his damaged leg. When his vision cleared, he saw Brett towering over him. He rested the head of his baton on Tom's chest, then pushed, and pushed, the baton's weight pressing ribs into his lungs. Speckles of black crossed his eyes as Tom struggled to breathe, writhing in agony. Tom had never felt more sure that he was going to die, but Brett smiled in pride and lifted the baton. Tom attempted to suck air into his burning lungs, but wretched, coughing and choking up spit as he curled in on himself. I've finished the fight, Brett said. But this voice did not belong to him. It was lighter, more sophisticated. He winced, clutching at his chest before he fell. Tom, with gritted teeth, managed to crawl over to him, His shaky finger found Brett's neck, but never found a pulse. One of the many famous residents of Hollywood Forever Cemetery is Tyrone Power. Guests have detected an increase in EMF readings near his grave, as well as a drop of temperature As an actor, he died of a heart attack while in the process of filming a fight scene for the film Solomon and Sheba. He was unable to finish the film and unable to move on. Hollywood Forever Cemetery is a place full of rich history and culture. With its grand architecture and exquisite scenery, it's the perfect resting place for the Hollywood celebrities of old. Come to pay your respects, then grab a lawn chair and stay for a movie. You might just catch a glimpse of these stars. And not just on the big screen. Thanks again for tuning into Haunted Places. We'll be back Thursday with a new episode. You can find more episodes of Haunted Places, as well as ParCast's other shows on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, or your favorite podcast directory. Several of you have asked how to help us. If you enjoyed the show, the best way to help is to leave a five-star review. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at ParCast and Twitter at ParCast Network. I'll see you next week. Haunted Places was created by Max Cutler. It's a production of Cutler Media, and is part of the Parcast Network. It's produced by Max and Ron Cutler. Sound design by Ron Shapiro, with production assistance by Paul Liebeskind. Additional production assistance by Maggie Admire and Carly Madden. Haunted Places is written by Olivia Kent. I'm Greg Polson.